go ahead and get started. Let's, uh, let's open up. Heavenly Father, we, uh, God, we just praise you. You are so worthy of our praise. You are almighty, sovereign. You are just beyond our comprehension, uh, full of love and grace and mercy and justice and righteousness. And Lord, I just pray that as we uh, continue to study your attributes, that uh, we would just uh, just have a, a greater love for who you are, uh, that our thoughts towards you would be more true, more accurate, and uh, Lord, just that, that all of the other things of, of our lives would uh, just pale in comparison to our pursuit of the of the knowledge of you. Praise things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right. So we're continuing our study on the attributes of God. Sorry. No problem. All right. So, does anybody remember what we did last week? Holiness. We did holiness? Yep. We did holiness. And then we started something else. Righteousness and justice. Righteousness and justice. Very good. Yes. So, but that was that was kind of short. So um, we're gonna we're gonna tackle that again. Probably not retread all the same ground, but um, we may still spend a while on it. So, what what was our what was our definitions of, of righteousness and justice? Righteousness is what is right. <laughs> yes, righteousness is what is right. Yes. What about justice. Mm. Justice, I, um, I feel like we said something different, but I had suggested at the beginning that justice was making things that were done wrong right again. Yeah. Bring, bringing about uh-huh. uh, righteousness. Yes. Justice. That's, that's basically true. I mean, there's definitely the the idea there, uh, though, of of the punishment. Of, yes. of the violation of God's law. So yeah, that's that's basically uh, what we're talking about. Again, they're they're very related terms, uh, but we can make the distinction there. So um, we talked about how God is righteous and He is just, and um, and specifically talking about it in relation to man, uh, we began to talk about um, the standard that we have. Um, I know specifically we talked about Matthew 5.48, therefore you must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. And the idea that God's uh, righteous law is the standard, God's very nature is our standard for how we should live, and we should, we are obligated to obey that perfectly. Um, And obviously we don't. Um, And... Let's see, and we began talking a little bit about um, God's judgment, that his judgment against sin is just. And I know this is where I really began to skim over things, so maybe we'll look at um, some passages that I skipped last time. I think I read those. Um... One that we didn't look at, uh, Romans chapter 2, verses 5 and 6. And again, you can turn with me if you want, but some of these I'll be going through really fast, so um, just up to you. Uh, Romans 2, 5 and 6 uh, says, But because of your hard and impenitent heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath, when God's righteous judgment will be revealed. He will render to each according to his works. So, just to ask the question: How how does God judge us? What do we what do we learn from this passage? It's a righteous judgment. Uh huh. Yeah, it's a righteous judgment. It's according to our works, right? Right. And so, as people live their lives and they they behave in a certain way with respect to the law of God. And they violate it. What are they doing every time they violate it? They're storing up wrath for themselves. That's 
That's what. That's the way that uh, Paul describes it here. Just every violation of the law of God is just storing up more and more wrath. Because God's judgment is just. It's going to correspond to uh, what we have earned by our behavior. Uh, and if that wasn't the case, he wouldn't be a just God, right? If he punished us less than we deserve, he wouldn't be just. If he punished us more than we deserve, he wouldn't be just. So it's a, exactly in correspondence to how much uh, wrath we have merited. Um, another one that I don't believe we talked about, uh, Revelation chapter 20, verses 11 through 15. And here we see a picture of the final judgment. It says, Then I saw a great white throne, and him who was seated on it. From his presence, earth and sky fled away, and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. And the sea gave up the dead uh, who were in it. Death and Hades gave up the dead who were in them. And they were judged, each one of them, according to what they had done. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So what do we see there? What can we learn about God's justice in this passage? That he has a record. He has a record. Books. Books. It's almost like just like your whole life. There's like somebody just writing down everything you do all the way through your life. And Judgment Day, that's it's all right there. It's very accessible to the judge. Anything else that we can see here? Justice is going to occur. You mentioned Judgment Day. It's going to be when the eternal state begins. Mm-hmm. At this point in time, we're not seeing that justice yet. God is just counting mm-hmm. right. the full measure of it is going to come right. in yeah. the future. Yeah, we do. We do see some measure of God's justice being expressed in the present day. Um, he does punish sin right now, but um, that is one thing to think about. Is like as we see people get away with things that you know, it's like. You know, how can this person do these vile things and suffer no punishment uh, that we can see in this life? Um, and the truth is, is that when we get to the day of judgment, the final reckoning will happen, and God's justice will be perfectly satisfied. So that's a good point. Anything else? Well, just a reminder that we're just we're judged by what we do. Mm-hmm our works which but we also know by God's righteous law that any sin disqualifies you from so obviously that points us to Christ that's the only way because by his imputation we can be forgiven on his righteousness right and what we see there at the end um, I mentioned of the book of life right so this is this is another book we have. Um, it says that, and if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into the lake of fire. So the book of life is for those who are redeemed. Those who are redeemed have their names written in the book of life. And we're and those people are judged according to works as well. But it's the they works are. of Christ. They are yes. And so transition to that, and I know that. We, we jumped ahead to that last time just because I didn't want to leave you all on the negative. Um, but, um, yeah, there's, a, there's another righteousness besides our own. Because we can all agree, you know, by our righteousness, none of us um, will be acceptable to God. He's a perfect judge. Um, I know we read this last time, but I'll read it again. It's just so important to this point. Uh, Romans chapter 3 
verses 19 through 26. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be accountable, may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation in his blood, to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time, so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. So there we see Paul very clearly making the statement that nobody is going to be justified before God by their own works. But then he brings in this other righteousness. Now we're talking about the righteousness of God. Um, And we can talk about the righteousness of God in that he in himself is righteous. He is the standard of righteousness. Um, but when we talk about the righteousness of Christ in relation to our justification, we're talking about something slightly different. What would that be? What would be the distinction? Christ was <coughs> the last Adam. Okay. He, um, he did what Adam failed to do. Adam didn't obey. Right. He was cast out of the garden. Christ, um, being fully God and fully man, lived the perfect life, the one that Adam could have lived but didn't, mm-hmm. um, and then died on the cross receiving the punishment mm-hmm. for the sins of his people and then rose from the dead. So he kept the law perfectly, the moral law, the civil law, the ceremonial law mm-hmm. throughout his whole life. So you're talking about active and passive obedience. Yeah, so definitely the idea that Christ came and lived as a man and perfectly obeyed the law all his life. Um, He was obedient to the law in our place. Um, And so he he earned a righteousness in that sense. And um, that righteousness is credited to us so that we can be acceptable before God. Now, why is it so important that this be the case? <laughs> According to uh, Paul here, um, the very last thing he points out here in this passage, and we talked about it last time, um, it has to do with God's justice. God is a just God. Can he just forgive sin? Can he just say, ah, never mind? Would God still be just if he did that? So, in this way, because of what Greg just said, then mm-hmm. he not only is, he continues to be just, but he's also the justifier mm-hmm. of his people as well. So, right. both of those two things are satisfied. Right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he could have just not been the justifier of the ungodly, right? He could have just sent us all to hell. Uh, but if he is going to be the justifier of the ungodly, the justifier of those who have broken his law um, then this is the way that he has to do it he's got to provide some other righteousness for us that we can't provide and he's got to uh, have his um, his wrath against sin satisfied and so we need a substitute for that Second um, Corinthians 5:21 is famous passage in this uh, for our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So there we see that that picture that that Christ took our sin on himself um, and therefore the wrath of God, the just wrath of God was satisfied. So God is able to maintain his justice. He can't just pass over sin, but he actually brings his wrath fully against all our sin, but in our substitute, not in us. And we receive the righteousness of God that Christ purchased for us by his obedience. Philippians 3.8, uh, 
and 9, uh, another one, uh, we see Paul here saying, Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness of God that depends on faith. So what was important to Paul? Knowing Christ. Knowing Christ, yeah. If, you, if anybody knows the, the passage, what, what were the other things that he mentioned beforehand that could have been important to him? Circumcision, the Pharisee of Pharisees. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In a sense, it was his own righteousness, right? Yeah. His own obedience to the law. And he had, you know, pretty good credentials as far as human beings go. Um, but then what was his comparison of his righteousness compared to the righteousness of Christ? It's worthless, right? Yeah. He didn't just say that he was pretty good. He said that he was blameless. Yeah, that is true. <laughs> that is true. That's a, that's a pretty strong term. I mean, he, he didn't view himself as sinless. but No. But, I mean, he was... He was pretty good as far as uh, obeying the law externally. Yeah. So, yeah. But, you know, that was that was nothing to him. Once he understood, you know, his own state before God and the righteousness of Christ, which is absolutely perfect, um, that was all he cared about. First Peter, uh, chapter 2 verses 21 through 24 Peter says for to this you have been called because Christ also suffered for you leaving you an example so that you might follow his step follow in his steps he committed no sin neither was deceit found in his mouth when he was reviled he did not revile in return when he suffered he did not threaten but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly he himself bore our sins in his body on the tree, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. So there we see a number of these elements brought together here. Um, how, is it, how does it describe Jesus is, is trusting in God? How, what, what terminology is, is used here with respect to... Who God? Who Jesus is trusting in? Anybody? I don't know if anybody turned to it or not. Who did he entrust himself to? Is that what you're asking? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, his father is the just judge. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and that's what I'm looking for: is the just judge. So there we see just a, an emphasis that God is just. Um, and in particular, with respect to Christ, I mean, death could not hold him because he, he himself was not sinful. Um, he was able to be our substitute and take the wrath of God for us, but um, as the perfectly righteous one, death could not hold him. Um, and he knew that because God is just. But he himself bore our sins in his body for the purpose that we would be saved, right? That our sins would be punished and we would receive his righteousness. So hopefully this highlights God's righteousness and justice and the way it works as he saves sinners. So application. This is an important pair of attributes here. How does it affect our lives? How does it affect our worship? Is it just academic? <laughs> I mean, if we really believe that we were condemned, right, and now we're uh, made righteous through Christ, I, 
it should bring about uh, praise and worship. Yeah. yeah. Thanksgiving yeah. and <laughs> yes, yes, praise and worship and Thanksgiving and and yeah, and you highlighted some important things. The justice of God should show us that we're sinners, we're in trouble. But the righteousness of God, in particular, the righteousness in Christ, shows us our way of salvation. This is a very, very simple analogy. If you received a large inheritance from some person who was partially anonymous, but you, I don't know, you got their name or something, I think we'd all want to like meet that. Per- you know, right. We'd want to know who they were and, and right. shake their hand and <laughs> in some way heap some praise upon them. Yes. And, and uh-huh. I mean, how much more yeah. so with uh, yeah. with Christ? Yeah. The, the it's it's a good analogy, but yeah, when you look at it in comparison, yeah, it's yeah, just that's like, right. yeah, that's it's just like wow. That's what I mean by very simple, right? Yeah, <laughs> but that's how we would react to a lesser thing. Yeah, and do we react that way to yeah the greatest? Yeah, that is a good question because I think oftentimes we don't. Oftentimes we are just distracted by the things of this world and forget how great our salvation is. Yeah, that, I mean, you know, you you mentioned how we we are sinners saved by grace, but we do still struggle with sin, mm-hmm. and and this informs how we are to deal with that sin. Mm-hmm. You know, not only how we are to view it, but just even in terms. I mean, it's just like I I don't just try harder and tell God, well, I'll do better next time. Mm-hmm. You know, I understand it is by His mercy, by His grace. I go to Him. I ask for forgiveness. You know, it's sort of by. And, you know what scripture says extrapolating from that you see that also as we sin against one another mm-hmm. there's a sense in which you know there has to be forgiveness you know mm-hmm. we can't we can never pay for our sin right. so yeah yeah and I guess going along with that I think you were basically touching on this is just the idea that you know that we can't after we're you know after we're saved you know after the moment that God justifies us we can't ever go back to thinking, okay, well, now as I sin, you know, I've got to, I've got to make up for that. You know, it's like, it's like, yeah, God wiped my record clean from before I got saved, but, but now it's up to me to, you know, to stay good enough to be acceptable. I mean, obviously, as Christians, we want to live holy lives. We want to obey God, but we always have to remember that it's, it's still not our righteousness that makes us acceptable to God. It's the righteousness of Christ. Anything else? I think the in terms of God's righteousness, if we look at as Christians, you can be tempting to look at say look at other people and say, Oh, I don't do that anymore or something. Mm-hmm. But if we look at what we were mm-hmm. and we were that you know we were of the mass of the damned at some point mm-hmm. and realize just how how far we fall short of God's law. Mm-hmm. Even the best of humanity falls so short of God's law where we're so much closer to the most wicked humans that ever lived than we are to God's righteousness. And it should keep us realizing like, hey, we're, we're not so great. We should be a little more humble or gracious in dealing with other people. I mean, it's not easy. Right. But, I mean, I don't know who was those, Robbie Zacharias or something like we're so we're closer to being Hitler than we are to God's righteousness. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that is true. Yeah, so that that definitely causes us to, uh, or should cause us to, to to pause when we're tempted to compare ourselves to other people, because when we look at the righteous standard of God, and we're nowhere near that. Anything else? What about uh, what about unbelievers? How should this affect us in respect to unbelievers when we consider these things? Well, there there ought to be way more patience, you know, because I think sometimes even in the righteousness that we have in Christ, we sometimes mistakenly think that's our righteousness, mm-hmm. and we can look down upon other people. Mm-hmm. So. To be to understand that when people, you know, in Christ, that's one position. When they're not, that's another. You know, so there ought to be a sense of 
compassion, mm -hmm. you know, uh, not only to be patient with them, but also to share the hope mm -hmm. that we have as well. Right. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, when you think about God's righteous judgment, and, you know, no, you know, I think everybody just, they, they know the sin in their own heart the, the most. So just when you think about the sin in your own heart and how that stacks up against the judgment of God, um, and you think about just how terrible that is, and then you think, well, there's all these unbelievers. And if they don't embrace Jesus Christ, then that's exactly what they're going to get. They're going to get the just judgment of God. Um, and so, I mean, thinking about these attributes of God should motivate us to share the gospel with people. Anything else? Right. Let's move on now. And we'll start talking about the love of God. So love. What is what is the definition? What does it mean when we say that God is love or is loving? Um, one way that I've defined love before, but I don't I don't think it quite um, fits how God loves us, but I think just what love is, at least between humans, mm -hmm. is just ca uh, caring for somebody beyond yourself, okay. just beyond your own well-being. You seek uh, mm -hmm. the well-being of this, this other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I, you, you do have to be careful when applying that definition yes, to God, but of it's, course. Not, it's not completely wrong in, no, in relation not. to God. So. But I, I think why it's still useful is that I mean we look at what he did which mm -hmm. was he um, took upon the form of a man and was willing to suffer all the sufferings mm -hmm. of humanity plus more right um, for us right and uh, yeah I, anyways I he I think he fits that mm -hmm. but he's so much beyond mm -hmm. so much more beyond that right narrow definition well, that's good. Definition wise, I think. What's that? First Corinthians 13 1 pretty much gives us the definition of love. Mm -hmm. And that, of course, Christ fit every bit of that. Mm -hmm. Patient, kind, not, does not envy, does not boast. Want me to go on? Want to read the whole thing? Yeah, you, I guess I have my notes to read it, but if I, you... I would you, say that this is probably the best definition since uh -huh. yeah. no sense in reinventing the wheel here. Right. Yeah. So, okay. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not argument or arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing. It rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Don't make you wonder. Yeah, that's, that's, that's basically the definition there. So, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's obviously that's a, that's a good spirit-inspired uh, definition of, of love. Um, what does that differ from our culture? Our culture probably thinks about love more in terms of something that happens to you, it's a feeling or mm -hmm. something that in that external force that compels you, mm -hmm. whereas you look at scripture, love is really an act of the will, mm -hmm. something you, you, you choose to do that you can do regardless of the circumstances. Right. Stuff, so. Yeah. Yeah, there is, there is definitely um, an element of, of your will involved in, in a, a biblical notion of love that is absent uh, from our culture, because yeah, it is very much like something that just you know, in the movies, that's just something that just happens to you. You know, you fall in love, and you don't really have any any choice over it. And then, and then of course, people fall out of love. You know, and it's like, oh well, I just I don't love them anymore. You know, not my fault. You know, but that's that's obviously not not biblical. Um, not to not to say that I, I I'm better at you know defining it than the Holy Spirit. But I have a definition here. Uh, um, it's, it's affection that manifests itself in action 
that seeks the good of the one loved. So, I mean, I think just bare bones, that's kind of what it is. I mean, there's definitely a notion of affection, of emotion that's there. Um, but it's not just, you know, just a feeling. There's an action involved there. Um, and it is focused on seeking the good of the, the object of the love. So, Mind if I? Yeah, go right ahead. Just a just a thought on that, because you, as you just a moment ago brought it to how our culture tends to put the cart before the horse, they put their emotions first, then the actions yep. don't necessarily even follow. I don't even think our def, our culture's definition of love is love; it's more infatuation. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, but your definition you just used, I'd almost want to switch it. Where okay. you you said affection first, that than the action of seeking the good of others. I would almost say seeking the good of others that, and then the the, the affection doesn't necessarily have to be there because we're commanded to love our enemies, for mm-hmm. example. Mm-hmm. But um, we don't necessarily always feel any kind of affection for our enemies, especially if right. they're currently persecuting us. Right. Um, and you're really good if you can do that. But, um, <laughs> so I, I, I agree with your, I, uh-huh. I, I like the definition. I'm just almost wondering if maybe the uh, the action of seeking the good of others, mm-hmm. um, and that can lead to right. affection for that person and a, and a genuine concern and love, um, right. caring for that person. Yeah, yeah. I think I think in particular when it comes to us loving other people, <clears throat> that often is the case. It's like even if we don't feel something, we have an obligation to still um, act in a loving way towards people, even if there's no affection there. But I think ultimately, like in the truest sense, what love is and should be is these things are basically just in union with each other, um, and that we should love our enemies in a, in the sense of both affection and action, um, and that I, I don't think either one really has priority in in the nature of God. Um, it's He has affection and He acts for our good, um, and they're they're just I mean it's just a part of of God's love. But certainly when it comes to us loving other people, a lot of times it's like, we just don't feel it. But we're like, okay, well, I know I should do this. And so uh, we, you know, we, we do the action and pray that God will uh, cause us to, to feel the affection for this person that's persecuting us. So, I like the example the that God gave us in the Old Testament where he, he set his affection on mm-hmm. people, mm-hmm. on a particular people. Yeah. And I, I think that's a good example. It is. For us, right? Uh, you know, it's um, in some sense it was it was almost arbitrary. Uh-huh. I mean, he, you know, he he yeah. picked he picked he even talked about picking a weaker uh-huh. nation, not right. not because of their strength or anything mm-hmm. like that. He just right. he chose them. He chose mm-hmm. to make them his beloved mm-hmm. people. Right. And so I think we yeah we do the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like what you said that the action. And the affection should be in union. Yeah. Although it's yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah. It's often it's not. <laughs> right. Yes. Yeah. It's often. But, but yeah. I mean, in the in the case of, in the, um, sorry. I've, now I now I lost my thought. Go ahead. Uh, I'm so sorry. No, you're fine. I all I was going to say was I, I I think that what we're sort of touching on is the fact that love is to encompass the whole person. Uh-huh. You know, if it's expressed in its in its fullness. Mm-hmm. Sometimes for us that doesn't happen all. That's true at the same time mm-hmm. you know but ultimately that that is the case so even for our enemies there ought to be compassion mm-hmm. and you know and and those emotions that go with it but there may be times when you just love right your, your kids or or your wife loves you or whatever just because that's what they're supposed to do right. and then yes. the other things come later yes, so. yes. that is that is true it's, <laughs> in, in us love is is imperfect and you know we come to it in, in stages uh, but now I remember you you were talking about God setting his love on, on people and there there very much is a, a sense that um, in, in what love is is that it doesn't matter how the person views you um, and often the people of Israel uh, they were not very loving toward God um, but that didn't change the fact that God had set his love upon them so anyway I have a question from this definition mm-hmm. in First Corinthians, just mm-hmm. as applying it to God. Just mm-hmm. there's just one statement, mm-hmm. and just wondering how that 
if it fits and if it's so how it does but that just that statement it does not insist on its own way okay um, how does that just that section of the definition of, of love apply to God <laughs> that, <laughs> or does it <laughs> that is a that is a difficult one um, I I I'm gonna say maybe maybe uh, maybe Pastor Rick can help us out a little with this, but I I will say this that um, it's not a self-centered love. What's that? When you think it's more like it's not a self-centered love. Right. He's still doing this for your good. Right. Yeah. So it's not insisting on your way. To the detriment of others, maybe. Yeah. To the detriment of others. So in other words, um, the choices he's make is for your own good. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not because he's. I'm right. I'm always right. I am right. It's more like I'm right. Yeah. One thing that I will say is that um, love expresses itself slightly differently, maybe maybe slightly isn't the right word, but somewhat differently uh, between us and God, just because of the nature of who God is. Um, And I mean, another one we could look at here is that you know, uh, is that love does not boast, Um, but yet we see that God does in fact boast. now he boasts in what's appropriate, and he boasts in himself, because he's the only one who's really worthy of boasting in himself. Um, and so, you know, we, we we definitely have to realize that it's like um, we are not worthy of boasting. We're not we're not the supreme ruler of the universe. Um, I mean, God loves himself more than he loves anyone else. Um, it, you know, but that's because he's God. He's the one he should love supremely. Yeah. I mean, that's, you know, and no, of no other creature is that true. That, you know, that they should love themselves supremely. They sh- everyone should love God supremely. And God is no exception to that. So, I mean, I think looking at it from perspective of, like, humans and God would be a part of the answer. Well, I would imagine that part of it is just the, the context of this being defined is really for, yeah, teaching us what... What love is, and not only that, but the context, immediate context, is he says, "Don't boast or be arrogant mm-hmm. or rude." Right, and then, you know, so there's a sense in which we're exerting our selfish mm-hmm. desires, right. you know, where, which where God doesn't right. do that. But I think it's very easy to take that out of context and think so. Somebody can't say I'm right, you know, but it says there that uh, love rejoices in the truth. Right. And stuff. So you know, you just you got to be careful to right. look at the whole context of the definition and stuff. Yeah, that's, that, that was kind of one point. I'm, when it says about boasting, it's good to boast in righteousness mm-hmm. and God's righteousness. Right. And I mean, so he can boast in, in his own goodness. Mm-hmm. It's the idea is a man boasting in something that's right. selfish or right. exactly. or whatever. Exactly. And the same thing with. Uh, uh, you know, what well, he was, um, uh, but anyhow, yeah, but yeah, I mean, so God can be close to himself. First John 4 8, touch on this, it says, Anyone who does not love uh, does not know God because God is love. I believe this is the only attribute that uses that conjunction there, that God is love. Um, I don't I don't think that means that it's like his most defining attribute, but it I mean it is interesting and it definitely tells us that uh, that love is, is just integral to the very nature of God. Um, we see several examples of love expressed within the within the Trinity, just the members of the Trinity loving each other. Uh, John 14, verse 31 says, uh, but, and this is Jesus speaking, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. So there Jesus is expressing his love for the Father and saying that, that's manifested by his obedience to the Father. Um, John 17, 24, Jesus is praying and he says, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory, 
that uh, you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. So there we see the love of the Father for the Son existing before creation. So we've talked a little bit about the love of God, what it is, uh, how to define it. One difficult question is, does God love everybody? In what way? (laughs) (laughs) I think there's a qualification. Okay. Does God love everybody absolutely equally in the same sense? No. Okay. So that's, you know, the the sort of God loves you line is kind of dodgy at best. Mm -hmm. It can lead people to sort of false false sense of where they stand with God. God has a general love for humanity and that what's called common grace. Gives us food, shelter, life, maybe a few amenities here and there. Obviously, even in that case, it's not all equal. We don't all get the same amount of goods or talents or whatever or the same equal in health, but a certain amount of basic things that's common to all humans that he gives us and then there's um, kind of redeeming love and I forgot the other term I was thinking of, that he gives only to the elect mm-hmm. so you know he can't and those two things I would say are not equal because one is qualitatively mm-hmm. better than the other mm-hmm. so you know, does God love everybody the same no, right. he does not. He doesn't have to. Right. We, don't, we shouldn't assume he has to love everybody mm-hmm. exactly the same. Yeah. yeah, well, you are making the, the proper distinction there. Um, and I know, like I said, I know in the men's meeting we talked about this uh, yesterday, uh, the idea of, like, so many doctrines where it's like there's this is the truth and there's a ditch you can fall off over here and there's a ditch you can fall off over here um, and this is this is one of those where you can you can fall off on one ditch and say that God loves everyone equally and that's not scriptural we're gonna, we're gonna look at that and, and see that and you could also fall off on the other side and say well, well God only loves his people he doesn't love anybody else in any sense at all well, I, um, I think it also goes into uh the assumptions we put into the definition. Mm-hmm. When you say, does God love, does that mean, does that, are you assuming that that means that God is going to forgive you? Or right. that God is not going to punish sin? Right. Um, and so when you say God loves you, though, oh, that means I'm good. You right. know, I'm, but God loves righteousness. Mm-hmm. And is it good that you be punished for your sin if you have, you know, yes. Mm-hmm. Right. You know, and so, uh, how, understanding what kind of assumptions or what kind of, what we tag tag on to that term love mm-hmm. uh, really does help define yeah. those differences. Yeah, and I mean, that's just, just going back to the definition of love and our general society's misunderstanding of those things. Um, if honestly, I don't know if we're going to have time to get to it, but I know I wanted to deal with the problem of evil you brought up before, um, but I mean, that's often what comes up with the problem of evil, is that people say, oh, well, God's all loving, you know, how could he be allowing anything bad to ever happen to me? Because if he if he loves me, he would just want me to be happy all the time. That's what love is. It's just like he's just he just wants me to be happy all the time. Um, and that's not that's not what love is. Um, people just have a wrong view of what love is. Um, so yeah, that's absolutely correct. Um, but to look at yes, God does love everyone. God loves even his enemies. Uh, Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 45, um, says, You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, so that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and the unjust. So there we have a command, right? We have a command to love our enemies. And what does Jesus say is the basis for that? God's provision for his enemies. You're to be like your Father in heaven. He loves his enemies. 
you should be that way too. Um, so a very clear statement. That, you know, God loves even his enemies. Uh, you know, sometimes the question comes up: Does God love Satan? <laughs> In a sense, yes, um, but not equally uh, with with, uh, for example, his love for the elect. Um, there's obviously a distinction there. Um, John 3.16 is a passage that is often quoted, um, and rightly so, but sometimes it's misunderstood. Um, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. So God loved the world, right? But what does that mean? Any thoughts? What does world mean? Does world mean every individual who's ever lived? No. I think it does. You think it does? <laughs> I think it does. Okay. I, I go away from the... Because if you look at the whole passage when he talks about world, it's specifically talking about the world. Now, I don't believe it in a salvific sense of loving the world. And it's, distinct, it's even distinctive in here that he loves the world, but whoever believes in him should not perish with that right. 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 So right there we got God sent a son to the world. Okay. There is no excuse that the world should not be saved because right. the son was sent to the world. Right. But there is a distinction in God's love for those of the elect in the world, mm-hmm. too. Right. But I don't believe that this is just a broad, you know, because everyone, I mean, it, it, we get in a quagmire when we try to define what God's saying by world here. Mm-hmm. Because now we got all kinds of other passages we go to when God talks about the world, mm-hmm. that means the universe. And then we try to say, well, this is not really the world. He's talking about those are the elect that are in the world that come from all tongues, tribes, and nations. So to me, I think that you're... you're I know I break from a lot right. of good guys, but I also right. hold to some other very good biblical right. interpretations, too, right. that they believe that this is there is a distinction here. Mm-hmm. And yeah. like I said, it's not it's not like we're... I'm not, I'm not changing my theology. I'm right. just trying to say... No, it's trying it, to be consistent. It, it, def- it definitely sounds like... The, the theological categories you're working with are the, are the same that, that I would be working with. But I, I, I don't know if, if Pastor Rick wants to weigh in on that, but I mean, I, I, I think I'm going to have to disagree with your, with your particular interpretation of that passage. I'm, I mean, it's interesting, uh, point, just something that popped into my mind, and that's uh, when you talk about the call, there's a general call that goes out to the world. The gospel is going to be spread to the world, all tribes, tongues. So the good news that God's sending his son, it does go out to the world. I would I would actually, I mean, I haven't thought about this as much as I should, so this is just all off the top of my head. Um, I don't want to put, put myself in a corner, but... Um, I see. I can. I can see where he's coming from. And right. That general call goes out to the world, mm-hmm. and in that sense, that I, I can see where uh, you're saying that it, it it does mean the world. But the qualification is there. Those that believe, mm-hmm. um, there is a difference between that general and that specific call. Mm-hmm. And so I, you know, that yeah. is that. It's not about. The good news and that call has gone out, but we're talking about our we're talking about will at that point. Um, the Holy Spirit coming in and, and fixing what's broken. Mm-hmm. Our will of being bonded in bondage to sin. Mm-hmm. So uh, I can I can see where it would actually it could be the, the world. Yeah, yeah. I gotta say, I mean, I think theologically there's no difference here. Um, but I guess I guess where where I would. Maybe where I would disagree is that I don't think we get into a quagmire when we start looking at the way that the word world is used throughout Scripture. I mean, one, I think, clear example, First uh, John chapter 3. Um, nope, sorry, looking at the wrong passage. Where did I? Okay, there we go. First John 2, 15 and 16. 
where John says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. Um, There, I think, you have a clear example of the fact that um, Scripture uses the word world in multiple ways. Um, And, I mean... You, you could do a whole study on that, and I, I you know, not planning to do that this morning. Uh, but you could look at all sorts of uses for the uh, for the word world, um, and to say that that the word world must mean all individuals who have ever existed. I think just doesn't fit. Um, I don't think it fits this passage. Um, I don't think I don't think it fits John three sixteen. Um, I mean, I guess that's more debatable. Um, but some people, I, I think, have the notion that that's what world must mean. It must mean every individual who's ever lived. Um, and I just don't think you can maintain that. And I think it makes, from my study, it makes more sense to look at John 3.16 uh, to be referring to not just the Jews, uh, but those outside the Jewish nation as well when, uh, when he says that God loved the world. He didn't just love the Jews. He loved those outside of it. But that is, a, that is definitely a deeper discussion. So, but I don't, I don't think theologically I heard anything that I disagreed with. So I don't know if Pastor Rick wants to reprimand me for No, anything. actually I was thinking a lot. Okay. You just expressed what I was okay. going to say. But. Okay, let's go. Um... So let's see here. Um, so looking at the question of can we see a distinct love for God's elect um, in the scripture. Uh, John 14, verse 21 says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And there, I, I think it's very clear that the idea is being expressed of a special love being put on um, those who are keeping God's commands, who love God. There's other passages that could be shown, but I, I think that that you know that expresses the idea um, that God has a particular love. He doesn't love everyone equally, but He has a particular saving love uh, for His people. Now you might say this raises the question: Then does, does God love people because they obey Him? I think about that. Is that what that passage is teaching? Maybe? I don't think it is. Um, what was your particular question, sir? So, um, in, see, John fourteen twenty one, it says, Whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So the question is, does that mean that God only loves people because they obey him? Is that the reason that he's loving them? No, because we can't obey him okay. without the aid of the Holy Spirit. Mm-hmm. So it's more he loves us in spite of our disobedience. Right, right. Yes, that is the answer I was looking for. Yeah, Romans 5, 8. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So uh, God's love for us precedes our obedience. So, just to make sure that's very clear, that um, God's love for us isn't isn't based on our obedience. Now, if God loves us, saves us, we're going to obey him and love him, um, and he is going to love us. I can also see where you can use that, because 
Well, the fact that they are showing the fruit mm-hmm. of obedience mm-hmm. is an indicator that God mm-hmm. has already yes. demonstrated His love to them. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yeah. Their their obedience is, in fact, an evidence of God's love in their life. So, yeah, that is very true. Okay. Um, well, Casey, I apologize because um, now we're to the problem of evil when we have like three minutes. So. <laughs> So, we began talking about that last time when we had just a few minutes. Um, Do you want to wait? Do that next? Yeah, maybe maybe we could maybe we could touch on that first thing next week. (laughs) Um, That could spark a whole discussion. So, so so yeah, we'll hold on to that so maybe we can give it its full its full due. So, application: the love of God. What, is, what does that mean for us? How does that affect our lives? How does that affect our worship? We're loved by the, the supreme uh, God mm-hmm. of the universe, which is pretty amazing. It is amazing. It should definitely cause us to fall on our knees and worship. Adopted sons and daughters. Like, and not, not, just, not just simply love, like, mm-hmm. you know, He's okay with us, or something like that. We're actually yeah, we're brought into the family. Yeah, yeah. It's an amazing thing. But but even being loved by God so wonderfully, our hearts still can be tempted to to set our love on other things, or or even to seek love in places other than God. Mm-hmm. And it's just good reminder for us that we don't have to. Do, I mean, not only do we not have to do that, we. We'll never find that love. It only comes from right. God. So. Right. Yeah. The 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 love of other people will will always disappoint us at some level. Um, however good it may be, it's it's always going to be something short of perfection. Yeah. But God's love isn't that way. That, that list in, in Acts, First uh, Corinthians thirteen, we can see it in our own lives. We can see it out of people's love towards us. It's not. It's not that way, but God, God is never uh, rude or overbearing or whatever. Also, he's patient, he's kind towards his, his children. Anything else? I think it's God loves us even when we're quite unlovable. It's not like we're generally lovable and God loves us. Like the initial creation, Adam and Eve were, they're not immutably good, but they were good. Mm-hmm. So you could say God loved them, and that's amazing because God mm-hmm. loves a creature right. that he made. But this is like, no, God loves a creature he made that rejects him constantly. Mm-hmm. So it's even greater. Mm-hmm. It's like, no, we're just spitting in his face constantly, yet he still loves. And I'm specifically talking to humans because we're the ones that you know, we're right. far worse than animals. We're, Right. Consciously rejecting our Creator, animals just sort of do what they do. Mm-hmm. We're hating God, and He still loves us in a general sense for all, and then in a mm-hmm. redemptive sense for some. Mm-hmm. You know, we don't do that as humans. Right. Those who hate us, we're inclined to hate. Right. Okay. Really challenges our. Our, our efforts to, to love other people when we see the way that God loves. And, and specifically with that too, um, it, within the church, realizing that God has set his affection upon these people, mm-hmm. if God can overlook all these offenses, um, and they are now our brothers mm-hmm. and sisters in Christ, um, we ought to do the same. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, and I say glory be to God that not only do we have these possibilities, but the Holy Spirit is actually accomplishing these things in our lives mm-hmm. to cause us to love more. You know, because I am a person who would be very angry at people who don't mm-hmm. act the way that that I think. But right. whenever I see any sense of love in my life or in any other believer, I just say praise God. Yeah. But He's actually doing in this church. Mm-hmm. Amazing, mm-hmm. amazing. We're going to get to sing about that this morning. Yes, we <laughs> <laughs> One other thing I did want to mention. Um, uh, 1 John 3.18 
says, little children, let us love, uh, let us not love in word or talk, but in deed and truth. So when we see the way that God loves us in action, um, that should be a motivation for us to not simply um, just have loving thoughts towards people, but to to really try to, by the power of the Holy Spirit, be self-sacrificial in doing good to others. Well, we are out of time, so let's, uh, let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, we, we just praise you for, for who you are. You are righteous and just, and you are loving. Lord, these things are, are really just beyond our ability to fully grasp who you are. And Lord, we ourselves just fall so short of your standards. Lord, I just pray that, that we would just just continue to to praise you for these things and to meditate on these things. And Lord, that, that you would conform us to the image of Christ so that in some measure these things would be a reality in our lives, that we would be like our Heavenly Father. Lord, I, I pray that, that we would be obedient to you and show that you have set your love upon us. And uh, Lord, just that this would all be for your glory. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.